How do you make business problems disappear? Wrap them in bacon. For business owners, marketing execs, and anyone trying to grow your business, pump your profits, and make more while doing less, welcome to Bacon Wrapped Business with Brad Costanzo. Sizzling hot business advice guaranteed to make you fat. Profits? Every week our chefs will serve you proven recipes for ramping up your revenue. Now here's your host, Brad Costanzo. Hey, welcome back to Bacon Wrapped Business. This is Brad Costanzo, and today I've got a very interesting uh, interview today. This is a uh, an expert in a concept that I first became familiar with about 10 years ago, I want to say. And uh, looking back on the past 10 years, it is one of those things that I, I didn't take action on, and I have a little bit of past regret that I didn't do it because it made a lot of sense to me back then, but life got in the way and started going down different paths. But today I'm coming full circle to bring an expert in this strategy called Bank on Yourself, um, which stems from this infinite banking concept uh, that some people may or may not have heard of. Uh, however, if you have not heard of this and you are uh, and saving money, investing money and getting the best return Returns, especially risk-adjusted returns for your uh, money and capital, is something that you find um, important, which <laughs> you all should. Uh, then you're going to want to pay close attention to this because you're probably going to hear about a strategy that you've never even considered in the past, unless you know specifically about this. And if it's anything, if you're anything like me, it'll cause you to go down the rabbit trail of learning more. But I hope to shortcut that process by bringing my guest today, Sari Ibrahim, on the show, who's an expert in this bank on yourself strategy. And um, well, without any further ado, Sari, welcome to the uh, show, Bacon Wrap Business. Good to have you. Hey, hey, Brad, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So um, as I mentioned to just now, um, I'm familiar with this, but I've never, I've never actually pulled the trigger on it. Um, a lot of people I talk to have never heard about this before. Mm -hmm. It's something that is totally different. So I really want to kind of dive into the, um, I want to dive into the basics of the strategy and just lay the groundwork because for a lot of people, it's like, wait, how do I wrap my brain around this? But um, before we go into the exact details about what this is, tell me a little bit more about you. Like why, why are you qualified to talk about this? Tell me about your kind of professional career and how you got to this point. Yeah, definitely. So I started in this career when I was doing my master's degree in business in 2016. And I started working at Allstate Insurance. I was more in the sales and marketing department. And then I kind of left that world and went into uh, healthcare. And I was working at companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Humana, Cigna HealthSpring. And I was like a Medicare broker. So I was helping people who were retiring and merging onto their own Medicare plans. And I started to build a relationship with these clients. And one of my clients asked me if I could help him with um, life insurance. And he even said something like it has cash value, it builds up over time. And I wasn't really sure of what he was referring to, but I had my life insurance license at the time. And I told him I would do more research. I'd get back to him. So I went on Amazon and I searched for books about life insurance. And I came across uh, a book written by Pamela Yellen. It's called uh, The Bank on Yourself Revolution. And the book pretty much talks about the strategy called the bank on yourself strategy. It also stems, as you mentioned, stems from the infinite banking concept. So pretty much as I was reading this, I was like, this actually, this is really, very like relevant stuff and it, it can help a lot of people. 
she uh, Pamela mentions a lot of problems with investing, like investing in 401ks and 403bs and pretty much investing in the stock market and, and the risk associated with that and how you can take control of your financial life by using um, saving strategies that have been around for over 100 years. So it's not that like we invented any of these. They've been around by insurance companies that have been around for a really long time. And then at the end of that book, there was a section that said, if you wanted to join our organization as a professional, so I filled out the application, um, got approved, went through like an eight week training program with them where we went through like financial services and the concept, and then started my company called Financial Asset Protection, which is a firm, uh, we specialize on this concept, the bank, the bank on yourself concept, and pretty much help real estate investors and business owners pretty much take control of their financial lives and pretty much recoup the interest they would otherwise pay to other lenders. They can kind of retain those, those profits. Beautiful. Love it. Um, th and that's a perfect segue. So let's go into the overall strategy. Like you mentioned, this is not something new. I first learned about this. Are you familiar with the Elevation Group? Um, uh, Elevation Group? No. Are they, do they do the same thing? Like No, uh, no, 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 they don't. But so um, Mike Dillard is uh, a guy that I know, and he's, he's kind of uh, a godfather of the, in the uh, uh, online uh, online marketing space. And years ago, he and a partner started a, um, they, they started an online membership talking about really innovative financial strategies, typically the strategies that are used by the top 1%, but making them available uh, educational wise to everybody else. And one of the very first concepts he, co he covered in there was this concept of being your own bank and banking on yourself and infinite banking, This all of these terms are somewhat synonymous. Obviously there's nuances. And I remember reading this and he's like, look, this is gonna sound really crazy to you what, when you hear what's possible, but understand that this has been, this has been, um, they've been using this, like especially very rich people have been using this for years and years and years. And only recently has it kind of come to the forefront of, um, of uh, people's consciousness. So let's let's go over the strategy. Like you're probably better at uh, summing it up in a nutshell than I am about, you know, what is the purpose of a bank on yourself strategy? Yes, the purpose of it is being able to keep the money you make. Because if you think about it from a business perspective or even as an investor perspective, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And then not only how much you keep, but how long you can keep it for and how many generations you can keep it for. So that's pretty much, I think, the, the roots of the bank on yourself strategy. It's the ability to keep the money you're making. And you're able to do so because it's not an either or approach. It's not either, you know, I put money into a whole life insurance policy or I put it into my business or I put it into real estate. It's a way for you to combine all these things together. So you can fund a whole life policy, grow the cash value in it. And then when you want to access this cash value, you would simply borrow against it, leveraging the cash value in it, and then use that for whatever you want, and then be able to pay yourself back at your on your own terms. Now, think of it this way. Imagine you have like a savings account at a bank, right? And let's say this bank is going to give you 5% interest on your money, compounded on your money. I don't know any bank that does this, by the way, but let's just say yeah. there is a bank that does this. Uh, now, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> now, think about this. You have the savings account that has, you know, for example, $100,000 in it, and it's earning 5% interest. Now, when you want to access this money to use it for business or to, to spend the money to pay your bills, whatever it is, you have two options. You could borrow, you could take the money out of it. You could withdraw from the principal of it, or you could borrow against it at a lower interest rate. So let's go through each one. So let's say, for example, you just simply withdraw it, like just like a regular business, a regular bank account, you would interrupt the growth of that now because you reduce the principal and then you reduce the future of earning interest on that money. So if you take out $1,000, you're not just taking out $1,000, you're taking out $1,000 plus the loss of opportunity cost, 
had you had just that money kept in there earning 5% compound interest. But it said if we borrow against it at a lower interest rate, we can continue that 5% growth on that money while still having liquidity. And that I think is another key element of the bank on yourself strategy is that you're not locking up cash. You're pretty much placing it somewhere and then borrowing against it at a lower interest rate on your own terms and pretty much being able to use that money for whatever you want. So we're still going after the higher returns. We're still doing real estate investing. We're still investing in our businesses, but we're doing so with different dollars, dollars that come from a whole life insurance policy. So this way you could do both things. You can invest, you can invest in your business or real estate and grow your money in a whole life policy at the same time with the same dollars. Right. Yeah. And it's, um, it's one of those things when I first heard about it. So I, my, my background, uh, when I got out of college, uh, about two years after college, I took a little break, worked for Disney World. Uh, <laughs> I said I was preventing a midlife crisis, <laughs> just screwing around. But after that, I got into, um, I was a financial advisor for Prudential Securities. Mm-hmm. I, I was licensed to sell insurance, although I, I don't think I ever sell, sold a single insurance policy in my life. I was all focused on mutual funds and stocks and bonds, et cetera. And uh, I just remember thinking, even from a young age, because my dad was a financial advisor, you don't buy, you, you know, you buy insurance for, for death protection and then you invest the rest. Insurance, whole life, universal life is not an investment. It is a, it is protection. Uh, don't confuse the two because, you know, and I, and I'd been indoctrinated really that especially whole life policies are so expensive. They're, they're a waste of money and blah, blah, blah. So I had a lot of reticence going into this because I heard whole life and I was like confusing, expensive and not for me. But what makes this strategy really interesting is the way that the whole life policy is used. And it's not, you're not talking about a traditional whole life policy that you can just buy from somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's special riders and there's special addendums to this that make this possible, whereby, and I want to I want to sum up what I think you just said, just so that, you know, when I repeat it, you tell me if I got any of this wrong. But you you fund a whole life this special type of whole life policy. And after a specific period of time, which we'll we'll go into the details and talk about, you have access to the the cash value of this policy. And anybody who's got an insurance policy should understand what the cash value is. Um, That has a typically a guaranteed or sometimes variable return on it uh, of X percent per year, um, Mm -hmm. which we'll discuss what people can kind of expect. And then if if I want to borrow against that policy, I can do so. If I want to, if I want to buy a car, take a vacation, buy a rental property, whatever I want, I mm-hmm. can borrow against that money. Uh, I don't have to pay taxes on the money that I'm accessing, mm-hmm. which you didn't cover, but I just know this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's say I've got a cash value of a five hundred thousand dollars, and I want to borrow a hundred thousand to buy a house. I can take that from my policy. I can go buy the house for cash. Mm-hmm. But my policy, and this is one of the big things you mentioned, continues to grow as if I never took any money out or borrowed money, right? It continues to grow with the half a million dollars earning whatever interest it's making. And then the money that I take, the hundred thousand that I take out and I put it into, let's say a real estate uh, that's earning 10% a year, mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm, in essence, it's like I'm double dipping, mm-hmm. but the key to making this all work um, is the discipline to pay yourself back mm-hmm. and to pay back with interest because otherwise you're just really stealing from yourself in essence, mm-hmm. right? Did I, get, did, did I kind of get the majority of that summed up correctly? Perfect. Yeah, that was a really good explanation. Yeah. Cool. Good. So, and I think that's the piece that a lot of people, real once it sinks in, like, wait a minute, I can access the cash 
tax-free mm-hmm. without it harming the returns that the other one is getting. And that one, it, I had to read that like seven or eight times to you know, just go, you know, what are you talking about, Willis? That seems too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about, okay, so let's, let's go through a couple of big, big benefits mm-hmm. uh, once more about this. So um, as it compares, like compared to some of the other investments, especially tax advantage investments, it's like, 401ks and, and IRAs and Roth IRAs and mutual funds, et cetera. Like what are some of the, you know, what are some of the big advantages of, and disadvantages of this? Yeah. So let's see, yeah, let's talk about 401ks, for example, let's say you have a 401k and let's say you're maxing it out. You're putting in $20,000 a year. You're 40 years old. You're maxing out your 401k, putting in $20,000 a year. And now let's say, you know, five years goes in, you have the hundred thousand cost basis, how much you put into it, plus some returns, hopefully. But now you come across a real estate deal. You want to jump into real estate. You want to buy a multifamily uh, building, whatever the case might be. You want some liquidity now. Now, when you access, you can actually can't access the 401k um, unless you do a loan, of course. But if you access the 401k, then there's a 10% tax penalty or then because uh, it's before the age of 59 and a half. So there's, there's some liquidity constraints with uh, a 401k. Also, because it's tax deferred, meaning that you're deferring $20,000 a year going into it, when you take that money out in retirement, you're going to have to pay um, tax, ordinary tax on it after 59 and a half. But the problem is, is that taxes right now are super low. And a lot of financial advisors and financial planners are, make the argument that taxes will go up in the future because of, you know, the debt, uh, the national interest debt, because of Social Security, because of Medicare, because of, you know, post 2020, what happened with the government, how much did the government spend on EIDL, you know, economic injury disaster relief loans, as well as paycheck protection loans, as well as unemployment, all these things, um, the government is going to need a way to recoup these because, you know, it's just like any other organization or business, when they spend too much, they need to kind of recoup those costs and 401ks and pre-tax vehicles, those are the low hanging fruit. This is all mentioned in the book called The the Power of Zero. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I recommend that book. And pretty much when you when you use whole life insurance instead of different, these different pre-tax vehicles, you create a hedge against these uh, spikes in tax rates, not only a, a hedge against market fluctuations, but also a hedge against tax tax rate fluctuations. So that's a huge advantage there. And then also liquidity too. So you have the ability to access these funds while you're saving and growing and earning interest in these accounts. Okay, fantastic. I love it. So let's get into, uh, let's get into some of the nitty gritty because I want... Um, my uh, my listeners, I want them to go like, this is super fascinating. I need mm-hmm. to learn more and probably schedule a, uh, a consult with Sari here, which um, at the at the end of the, in the show notes, et cetera, if people want to get a hold of you and say, hey, would this work for me? We're going to provide all the opportunity for you guys to reach out directly to Sari and see if this is something um, appropriate. But um, let me, speaking of appropriateness, let me ask this. Um, I know for a fact that if you're undisciplined, like one of the keys to making this a really powerful strategy is the discipline to pay to pay yourself back when you access your cash. Because if you just take the cash out, like, oh, woohoo, I don't have to pay this back. You're basically robbing from your death benefit and your cash value, and you're negating the benefits mm-hmm. of the property. So I've heard that, look, if you're not disciplined, well, first of all, if you're not disciplined, this could be a good way to stay disciplined, to create a discipline. But yeah. um, give me a situation or two or three, whereby you wouldn't actually recommend this for somebody. Like, is this, 
I don't believe that everything is one size fits all, but mm -hmm. are there any people, situations, et cetera, where this is not uh, recommended? For instance, uh, one example would be like a certain certain low income level versus, uh, or, or a, you know, senior citizens, or you don't have enough time to do this, but yeah, give me some of the things that would disqualify some this from being an ideal situation for somebody. Yeah. There is going to be a capitalization period, a period of time where you have to fund the policy. So, you know, you're, you're getting a cushion of, you know, the lowest policies we worked on are around $300 per month. So that's typically like the, okay. the low range. And then they can go all the way up to like a million dollars, you know, a year in, in a whole life policy, okay. even more than that, you know, with large corporations, but pretty much you need a cushion of like, you know, three to $500 per month. So if you're, you know, living paycheck to paycheck right now, you're a W2 employee, you're still young. Maybe this is something that you should just learn about yep. and understand it. So that way, when you do get more money, you know where to kind of store it, you know, a, a, when you have a cushion of three to $500 extra a month. And you, like you mentioned, um, this, this is, it takes discipline, but also it can create discipline as well. And that's what happened in my case. When I started my first policy, I was putting in $300 a month. And as I was doing this at first, it was like an expense. You know, I had no other choice. I wasn't going to pay five months and then cancel it. The whole thing would just collapse and it would be pointless. Yeah. I would have lost that money. But as I'm putting money in, I was like, you know, I got used to it and now it became like a habit. And then I started paying it off yearly. And now I'm going to do a second policy. I did one with my, my wife. She has her own policy. She's a nurse and she wants another, an additional source of retirement when she, when she retires. So pretty much we're going to, it became like, it's almost becoming like a lifestyle habit that's, that's created by the policy mm -hmm. for a lot of people. Saving is really, um, it's really difficult. You know, 60% of Americans don't even have a thousand dollars in a bank account. I've seen that statistic. It is very scary. Exactly. And it's not really an income problem. It's more of a savings problem, you know? Um, and it, because our money is so liquid, it's so fast. Like think about it. You have direct deposit, the money goes into your bank account, and then you have debit cards, credit cards, you know, quick pay, you know, mobile apps, that, numerous mobile apps that you can buy Amazon, you can buy anything pretty much on your phone. So money comes and money goes quickly. Mm -hmm. So if you can figure out a way to kind of capture and slow it down in the sense of uh, on, on the holding side, uh, if you can, can you, you can consider, you can slow it down, that'll increase the chances of you saving, which will of course increase your savings over time. And I, the strategy will help you with that. You know, even if it's 300, $500 a month, just being able to have your, to keep the money that you're making will, will change your financial outlook. Right. What about like senior citizens? So, you know, what about somebody who's, let's say 70, 60, 70 years old, um, and, like closer to retirement or in retirement, are there, you know, because there is a capitalization requirement, et cetera. And a lot of times they need, you know, they're living on fixed income, et cetera. Is, is this a something typically for them or should they, are they probably missed the boat? It could be for them. I, I've worked on cases with people around the age of 70. So for example, one thing they could do is let's say like, and of course they would have to have larger sums of cash, but let's say they had like $500,000 in a CD or in a money market. They're probably putting it there because they don't want to put it somewhere that's risky. Obviously, if they're seven years old, they can't afford any risk. Mm -hmm. So but they could what they could do is they could buy like a single premium whole life policy where they would move over from the CD or the money market or just a regular bank account into a whole life policy. They would buy up an entire premium of a policy. It's like buying a house cash. They would just buy the whole thing and then instantly have like a death benefit of like $850,000 or $900,000 that would be tax free to their beneficiaries when they pass away. So they're pretty much taking large, large sums of cash and almost doubling it on the tax-free side. Now, if something happened to them, they passed away and they have $500,000 in a bank account, it would go through their will and depending on the state and, you know, state tax and all that, that whole system 
of taxation. Probate, you know, yeah. Probate, exactly. Yeah. So with the whole life policy, they would skip that and it'd be on the tax favorite side. And then also they wouldn't be locking, they wouldn't just be buying life insurance. They would be taking, you know, $500,000, transferring it into a policy and they would have liquidity in their policy too, that they could access in the meantime. So you mentioned uh, like single premium. So basically if, if I've got half a million dollars and mm -hmm. uh, I just want to pay it one time lump sum and I'm like, here you go. Like that's not even paid over time. You can actually do that. You can put the whole thing in lump sum right away without having monthly yeah, yeah. Or premiums or no? Yes, correct. Yeah, it would just be a, a single premium whole life policy and then yeah. it'd, be, it'd be paid up. So no more premiums would be required. So, okay, cool. So and one of the things I know about insurance policies, whole life especially, is that you know there are fees mm -hmm. to this and typically the fees are, are large in the first few years mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily have, you know, I know that you know, if you put in $10,000 this year, your cash value, you, you can't pull out 10,000, right? It'll take several, and we'll cover this in more detail. It'll take several years to be able to access all of the money you put in mm -hmm. due to uh, fees and costs. Um, and I want to go back to the normal use of this, but in this single premium, if somebody put in half a million dollars, approximately how much, how much access to their um, I guess that 500,000 would they have in year one? And then how long would it take them to have access to the full 500,000 should they need it mm -hmm. on, a, yes. on an average? So it depends on their age, but let's just say, for example- Let's uh, say they're 70, like 70 mm -hmm. years old, for instance. Yeah, 70, they put in 500,000, their cash value year one might be 480. That's their cash value. And then they could borrow up to 90% of 480. And then every year their cash value, and then their, their life insurance might be like $850,000 but the cash value and the life insurance would grow every year. And probably with, depending on how it's structured, depending maybe like year two and a half to year three, it would break even, meaning the cash value would go from 480 and it would exceed 500,000 by year two and a half to year three. And the life insurance would grow about 5% every year. So it, it would, it would uh, it's, not, it's not level. It would keep growing every year after that, the death benefits. Right, okay, great. Yeah, so that is a good way to, um, <laughs> make my mom and dad listen to this afterwards. Go, hey guys, <laughs> yeah. listen. Um, no, but that, that's great. So I'm just going to reiterate that if, if, if you put in like fully paid up, here's half a million dollars, that's going to get me a death benefit of about 800 to 900, you say, mm -hmm. right? Correct. Yes. And um, I would have immediate access to about 480. Yes, but then correct. after about two, maybe let's say on year three, uh, we're going to reach parity where okay, I got access to the full 500,000. I never have to spend, put another dime into the policy because it's paid up, mm -hmm. but it's going to continue to earn money, right? Yeah. And then as you, let's say you, for example, borrow a hundred thousand from it, and then you want to use it for, you know, whatever real estate or invest in a business, you could pay that back on your own time. You could pay that back over 15 years if you wanted to, you know? Love it. Love it. So now if, um, let's, let's talk about, um, let me ask about, uh, yeah. So, what do these policies typically pay? What is the interest rate? Are they market determined? Are they variable or fixed? They're typically, um, they're kind of, so, so when we do an illustration for a client, right? We pick the company, we pick the funding amounts. There's something called an illustration. That's like the, the figure is all printed out and there's a guaranteed side and there's a non-guaranteed side. On okay. the guaranteed side, the insurance company is saying, you know, for example, if you're funding this for 20 years, they're saying for 20 years, this is your cash value. This is the premiums you put in and this is the growth of it guaranteed in writing. And then yep. you're of course guaranteeing this with an insurance company that's been around for over hundred years. And then on the non-guaranteed side, it's the guarantees plus dividends. 
Although dividends are not guaranteed, we only work with companies who have been paying dividends for many years, for over 100 years, you know. So pretty much uh, non-guaranteed equals dividends plus the guarantees. And typically combined together, all the interest and the dividends over time, on average from the companies we work with, we see typically between 5 and 6% compounded every year. Okay, great. Um, and that, does that, how much of that is typically dividend versus guarantee? Hmm. Good question. Maybe about maybe about three percent guaranteed interest, and the, okay. the rest of it is is dividend. But it, it has a compounding effect. So yeah. they base the interest on how much dividends you get, and then vice versa. The amount of dividends you get is based off how much interest you're earning. So it's like a cycle. Okay. And this is where it comes in the paid up additions rider. This is part mm -hmm. of properly structuring a policy. We want the paid up additions rider, which is a part that goes into the policy, and it allows you to add more cash value directly add more premiums directly into the cash value. And when you do that, it has a compounding effect. So you're getting interest on interest over and over again throughout the yeah, years. So, so and, I, and I've read about the, the PUA writer, but I, I never really totally understood it. What is that technique? Like, what are the more technicals of it that it's telling the policy to do? So, yeah. So for example, you know, old school whole life insurance would be, you know, 100% whole life insurance. That means every dollar that's going into it is going to service the life insurance part and a small amount is going towards the cash value. This is where people say, you know, whole life insurance is a terrible investment or a, table, a terrible strategy. And it could be, if it's hundred percent base, it could be a terrible strategy. Um, and as you're putting in dollars, every dollar it's going to service the whole life. But when we do it, the bank on yourself way or the infinite banking way, we're doing a different allocation. We're probably doing like a 50, 50 split where every dollar that's going into it, half of it is going towards the base life insurance. And the other half is going towards the paid up additions rider. So this way we, we reduce the life insurance amount and then we allocate more dollars to the cash value. This way gotcha. you have high, much higher cash value in the first year. So like old school whole life insurance policies, you would be putting in $10,000 a year, maybe year 11 or year 12, you would break even on a whole life, old school whole life. The more okay. modern way, the infinite banking way, maybe year three or year four, you, you'll break even on putting in $10,000 a year, depending on the policy and how it's structured and the age, you know, but typically it's a much higher rate of return. When you because have it's less addition. focused on the, it's really less focused on the dividend mm -hmm. than it is on, I'm sorry, it's less focused on the death benefit because the death benefit's important, but what's yeah. really important is, is generating a large enough cash value to, okay, gotcha, perfect. That, that answers that. So, um, the average person who non non senior citizen, right? Whether you're 25 or 45 or whatever, right, in that range, and you are um, you're just you know paying. Obviously, uh, the amount of premium probably depends. I'm guessing on do you start off with the death benefit? Like, if I wanted to do this right now, mm -hmm. um, what would what what are some of the things that you would ask to say? Okay, you know, to determine how much. Right, like it's—is it a how much do you want to be paying per month, or is it how much do you want the death benefit to be, or what? What kind of is the initial determining amounts of uh, how these things start off? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Yeah, so we, what we would do is we do like a financial analysis. It mm -hmm. takes about sixty to ninety minutes to do, and it's pretty much just me asking questions. You know, like what is your cash flow? What is you know what are you currently doing for retirement accounts? You know, income, real estate properties, you know, passive income. All these things we do do the math on it, and then pretty much. Like I would ask you, what are some of your goals? And if you say, mm -hmm. you know, I want to retire at the age of, you know, 55 or whatever. And I want, you know, $10,000 a year, you know, then I would structure a whole life policy that would help connect all those, these goals together alongside everything else you're doing. And then we would pretty much fund it from there. So that way the solution could equal the, the objective of what you want to do. Gotcha. So that, that, that's one way. Yeah. 
Okay. Now, um, if you're, and then if you're doing this, if it's not a, a single premium pay up, like we talked about with uh, just a second ago, and somebody is putting in, I'm just going to, I'm going to throw a number out there. Like mm-hmm. they're putting in $10,000 a year, mm-hmm. which is whatever, like eight, what is that about uh, 800 and something dollars a month? You know, yeah. let's yeah. just say that's a, a, probably a healthy policy there. Um, approximately how long would it take I think you said it's about three years. Mm-hmm. Is it about three years to get to for the cash value to reach the amount of premiums you've paid? Yes, correct. Cool. And, and then one of the things, I don't know if we actually discussed this, but one of the nice parts about this is you're not paying premiums forever. There is a certain point where you can actually stop paying premiums altogether, right? And it just is self-funded. Exactly. Yeah. We, we, we do that based off of retirement goals or based off of their goals. So if they say, let's do 10 years, you know, of putting in $10,000 a year, we could do that. We could do seven years. We could do, however, and, and we kind of run, like we, we run this alongside other things. Like for example, if they're going to retire from their job at age 55, we'll do it. So that way they use their W2 income to pay for the premiums until they retire. And that way, then we could churn on income. So that way the policy now is paying them. There's going to be gains. Another thing too, back to the taxes, in most situations, about 90% of situations, it's going to grow tax deferred. And then when you take the money out, it's going to be tax free because you've used after tax dollars to fund the policy. Mm-hmm. And this is how policies are structured under current tax law. Okay. When you take the money out, even if they're arguing. So it's very, it's very common for us to set up a policy where they're putting in, you know, $10,000 a year for 20 years, and then they turn it on. So now they're going to get, you know, $25,000 a year for the next 20 years. So their money is like, you know, 2.5 to three times what they put in on a tax favored basis. It's really important for people to understand is that if you're just chasing, you know, 8%, 10% returns, wherever else, you need to understand the tax liability behind it. Absolutely. And then is there ever really a point where you're accessing the cash without, you're never really accessing the cash value without taking a, a loan, correct? It's always kind of done as a loan. It's not just like a dividend or something that just gets paid out. Yeah. So a couple of things. So one is when you, whatever the cash value is in the policy, there's two ways to access it. There's, you could borrow and then pay the interest like we already mentioned, or you could withdraw it where you take away from the actual principal. Typically it depends on the client. It depends on the back to the financial analysis, but typically I think one rule is while you're, while you're still working, while you're still earning income, you don't want to do any withdrawals. You don't want to affect that growth. And then when you retire, that's when you want to do withdrawals. You want to turn it on. So that way the policy is now subtracting from the balance, paying you out as like a pension or as like a retirement account that's paying you through. Right. Now that, and that's if you're using, if you're withdrawing for just living expenses, Mm -hmm. but if you're withdrawing in order to put it into something that also makes money, right? Like let's say you're withdrawing to buy an investment property that may pay eight to 10% uh, and you'll pay yourself back at, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Then it's it makes sense to borrow, right? If you're if you're taking the money out to put it into a cash flowing asset, borrow it. If you're just, hey, I'm retired, I'm done, yeah. I'm not making any income to start to pay this back. I'm just going to start to withdraw it. Now, is the is the are the withdrawals taxable? So if the if the policies um, something called a, a non MEC policy, non modified endowment contract, then it would be uh, tax free. So even if there are gains in the policy, it would be tax free. And assuming you've used after tax dollars to fund the policy, yes. And that's okay. typically what we do. Sometimes, about ten percent of the time, we do intentionally do modified endowment contracts where they they do have to pay taxes on the gains in the policy that they take out because of the other financial benefits, you know, the death benefit, the, the tax deferred growth and the liquidity, all the other factors, the client is on board with those and they rather had those factors, you know, considering the tax liability with this. 
I love it. Um, and like, what is the, when, when you're paying back, when you're paying yourself back um, the loan, which is one of the most critical elements of this whole thing. Cause it, it's not only, Oh, just, well, you have to pay it back cause you really don't, but it's what allows you to like get this really super compounding return. Right. Cause if you're, yeah. if your policy is making, what'd you say, let's just say 5%. Yeah. So you got a hundred thousand dollars in there. You're making 5% on that. Mm-hmm. And then you withdraw money and you put it in something that's making 10%. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you pay yourself back uh, an extra 5%. It's like you're just continuously feeding the beast and it, you're getting really a magnified return. What, it, what would you recommend in this market environment right now? If I, if, I pull, if I borrowed money and paid it back, what percentage rate should I use to pay myself back? Yeah. So typically, um, now I've heard of other advisors do it where they can control the amount of the, 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 the interest you pay back. Now I actually, to be transparent, I've never seen this before where you can control the, the amount of interest you pay back um, directly to the insurance company. So for example, if you have a hundred thousand in the, in the account and then you borrow, you know, 50,000, now you're taking out of the insurance company's general funds. And then now it's like a personal loan between you and the insurance company. And you would typically pay back 5% simple interest. While okay. you're earning, so, so the, yeah. so the insurance company is the one who, determines the rate. Cause I, yeah. I, I may have been mistaken. I thought you could pay it back without, I, I thought that you could a not pay it back, which just robs from you. It, mm-hmm. uh, B that it, uh, or B that you could decide what rate to pay, but that they said, I thought I read that you should pay a market rate, but mm-hmm. you're telling me that it's typically a set rate. Is that right? So yeah, so typically when you're paying it to the insurance company, they determine the interest rate, which is typically 5% simple interest. And you're paying it to them. And then you get to control how and when you pay it. So you could do monthly payments, annual payments. You could, you know, you could pay it back in one year or 10 years. You could pay it back. And we recommend that you you at least feed it back so that way you're paying down the loan balance. Yeah. But now this is kind of like the the next step to this is that this is almost like, you know, martial arts where there's like a white belt and then all the way to like a black belt. So like people start off, you know, on a basic level and then they can get really like intricate and do like a lot of interesting things. So more on the black belt strategy, it's like, for example, I'm an individual. I own an LLC. The LLC is going to borrow from my policy. I'm going to pay the insurance company back 5% simple interest, but I'm also loaning the money out to a separate entity. I'm going to add an additional you know, 5% interest on top of that, an agreement between me and my LLC or S Corp or C Corp. This is something that you want to confirm with your CPA and your lawyer to make sure this is all going to work. And, you know, and all the parts are moving, but pretty much you're becoming literally your own finance company and you're using the insurance company, the whole life insurance policy in between all of this. Nice. I like that. Okay. But, and that's nice too, is that like the, the how and when you pay it back is kind of up to you. Um, Because yeah, if you're having a, if you're having a, off month or mm-hmm. something like that. And if you, like, if I, if I'm typically, if I set the schedule to pay it back monthly, um, I can skip a month if I need, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, cool. Is there any penalty to that? No, no penalties. Interesting. So if I decide, screw it, I'm not paying it back. What happens? Does that just come out of my uh, death benefit? Yeah. It, yeah, that could happen. It come Or um, in some situations, and I haven't seen this, but, you know, I, just to be cautious of it is that if, if you don't pay back at all, the loan balance will eventually just keep growing. And then if the loan balance grows beyond the cash value, then the policy could lapse. Gotcha. Now, granted, that would take a really long time because as you borrow, you're still earning money on your money, on your cash value. So it, it's just something to know that you want to pay it back to avoid the policy lapsing in coverage. 
Perfect. Um, you know, one of the things that I had read about, and I don't know if you've heard this uh, analogy, which I, but I really loved and it made sense because I've, I've, I've tried to explain this concept to a few other people. Um, and, you know, well, and one of the problems as well, well, the, you know, the fee, the, the, the insurance company fees are so high, like, you know, it doesn't even break even for what, like three years, sometimes, you know, plus or minus, I guess. Um, and I loved seeing it, uh, this analogy is like, well, what if you were to actually start a bank? Like mm-hmm. you were to actually go capital, like start a bank, you've got to capitalize it. You've got to buy the, the real estate, furniture, fixtures, equipment, hire employees. You've mm-hmm. got startup expenses to starting this business, right? Yeah. And most businesses don't break even for a few years. Yeah. You're right. And, and then, but once they do, then they're off, you know, they're off to the races. And they said, you know, they use this metaphor of think of it like that. You're actually, think of it as you are starting the bank of Brad mm-hmm. and you are, uh, you have to capitalize it. You've got to, you got to take maybe one step back to take two steps forward. The good news is you still have access to your cash, but it's not just not all of it. Uh, you mentioned on the lump sum, if I put in 500, um, I probably got access to 480. Mm-hmm. If I start putting in, let's say, um, let's just say, let's make it easy, 12,000 a year, $1,000 a mm-hmm. month. Uh, mm-hmm. After year one, I put in 12,000. If you were to ballpark how mm-hmm. much access I would have after year one, what would you say that would be cash value? About, about 50%, six okay. grand. Yeah. Year one. So, so putting in the lump sum actually is more beneficial if you can do that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Okay, cool. So first year, if I put in 12,000, I may have access to 6,000. Second year, I put in another 12,000. Now I've got 24 in. Mm -hmm. Is it probably more than 50%? Yeah, now it's more. Now it's starting to climb now. So the year one, technically your cash value, you know, it went from zero to 6,000. And then year two, it's probably going to increase by, you know, 7,000, 7,500. And then year three, maybe three and a half, it's going to start breaking even. So eventually the cash value of the policy picks up and just starts generating its own income, almost its own returns in that policy yep. to exceed what you're putting into it. So it's very common, you know, by year 10, you're putting in 12,000, but the, but the policy now is growing by like 18,000 or 19,000. And then even in some situations where like, let's say somebody is, you know, 40 years old, they do it for 10 years, they cut off payments, not 50, but they don't take any money out. They want to just let it sit there every year after that, from age 50 till age 60, it's going to keep earning interest and dividends and compounding as if, you know, they're, pre- they're paying for the premiums, but they're not anymore. So it can keep compounding it over and over again every year. No, I love that. Um, and yeah, like you said, after, after just a handful of years, it, it breaks even and then you're, you're good to go. Um, mm-hmm. if, you, if you start off paying uh, 12000 a year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and based upon whatever analysis you do, you say, okay, th- you're probably going to be paying for, I don't know, what do you think? Like is, is 10 years? Is that long? Is that short before? Okay. It, you have to- yeah. Depending on what the client wants to do. Cause eventually here's the thing though, when you, when you do like the, it's called the reduced paid up, that's when you yeah. pretty much stop paying into the policy. When you do that, it's good, right? Because you don't have any more premiums to go into it, no more expenses, but it's all at the same time, there's a downside because you can't keep building up the cash value even more and more. Uh, so this yeah. is something, so it's like, it's like a game of inches, you know, we want to reduce expenses, but at the same time, we don't, we don't want to reduce opportunity. And this is, you know, that makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Because, but, and then like, let's say, let's say we had a plan and the plan was to pay it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Okay. And at that point it's going to take over, but on year five, I was like, you know, I just don't want to pay into this anymore. Yeah. Do, 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 do As a client, do you have the opportunity to stop? And then it just reduces the amount of the cash value and the death benefit or 
um, do you have to keep on paying it or lose something? Yeah, good question. So remember how we talked about the paid up additions rider. So mm-hmm. the part of the paid up additions rider, another benefit of it is that it's flexible. There's a lot of flexibility. So for example, if we're doing $12,000 a year mm-hmm. and we did a 50, 50 split between base premium and paid up additions rider, then every year you're on the hook for 6,000 for the base premium. You have to pay that. And then as far as the paid up additions rider, there's a minimum and a maximum you get to um, allocate to every year. So the minimum is like a hundred bucks a year. The maximum is usually depending on how much the base is it's pretty much maybe, let's just say $10,000 a year. So every year you could do a minimum of $100 to a maximum of 10,000 towards the rider every year. So this okay. means you can over, overfund the policy and underfund the policy every year you want to. So if you're year five in and it's getting too expensive, you could drop down to the base and then only pay the base premium um, pay, and then pay the minimum on the rider of $100 a year. And you could even borrow from the previous years to pay future premiums. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so there's no real, there. It's it sounds like it's flexible enough. There's no major risks, but uh, obviously everything has a risk. What you know, what, what would you say some of the bigger, or you know, are there, are there actual risks that somebody needs to um, pay attention to besides opportunity costs mm-hmm. and opportunity risk of oh well you could do this with that money, but um, what are what are some of the risks there? Yeah, it's pretty much just the control of cash flow. So if you you know allocated you know to put in twelve thousand dollars a year. And then, you know, you lose your job or you lose your source of income. That could be a risk, of course, because, yeah, the policy can have flexibility, but eventually you have to come up with that capital to keep it moving, to keep it forward. The insurance company is making a commitment for you and then vice versa. You're making a commitment to the insurance company. Right. Okay. Well, and and that's not a, yeah, $12,000 a year. Granted, I mean, that's not a, that's not a huge leap. Mm -hmm. And and what you mentioned though, is if something happens, I put in $12,000 year one and year two, I lose my job. Somebody stole all my money and I am just back to square one and scraping. Um, At that point, let's just say it's in year two or three. At that point, I'm in a oh crap situation. Is that where I can pay that minimum yeah, yeah, you could even pay the minimum and then use the previous year to pay the the base to finance the base premium. So if you have six thousand, you could take the six thousand out, use that for the next year to pay the base premium. That way, it'll buy you an extra year until you get situated. And there's also something called a catch up period. Yeah. So let's say year one you put twelve thousand in, year two you put six thousand in, year three you put six thousand in, and then year four you pay the original twelve thousand plus you have an extra you know, 12,000, you can go back the previous two years and then fill in those buckets, those missing buckets mm. to catch up the cash value. So that way you're on track, back on track. Nice. And then when, and I know several people have got multiple of these accounts, so you don't just have to have one policy, yeah. right? Like uh, one of my buddies that started one of these about eight years ago, he, uh, he says, yeah, I've got four policies because he's mm-hmm. got, you know, two kids, got a wife. So when it comes to starting multiple policies, what, uh, what is a, either a benefit of that or what are some of the basic stipulations that you need to know if, if you're doing multiple of these? Yeah. Well, it's like how you mentioned about having a business, you know, and there's expenses. Yeah. It's just like having more than one business now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a reason why people get more than one policy. It's because of that whole modified endowment contract thing mentioned earlier is that the IRS limits you uh, uh, based on how much cash you could put in based on how much life insurance you have. So when you reach that max and then, you know, now two or three years have passed by, you want to do another one. Uh, you want to allocate more dollars to it. You're going to max out the policy. Then you can do a second policy, a third and a fourth and so on. So this way you're able to allocate as much capital as possible into this tax deferred, tax-free 
you know, safe, safe place to grow your, your capital. So that's what, right. that's the reason why a lot of people do more of these policies. Okay. Yeah. And in order to have another one, you just basically have to pick a beneficiary, right? Yeah. The beneficiary. So if, for example, if it's uh, two spouses, it could always be the same spouse as a beneficiary or kids or parents. Or, so like I could yeah. take one out on my spouse, she mm-hmm. could take one out on me. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. if we had two kids, we could each take one out on each kid. Right. Mm-hmm. So then that would be like one, two, three, four. I could technically like family of four could maybe have six policies. Yeah, exactly. And then we do have it for kids where it's like a college savings plan, you know, where they're putting, they're putting in, you know, you know, $300 a month. And by the time they're 18 or 19 years old, they'll have enough money to start financing their college education. Is this the kids are putting, like the kids are taking the policies out at that age? So the, the parents are doing it for their kids. The parents are doing it for their kids. Nice. So like, let's say it's a you know, two-year-old. The parents yeah. would own the policy and the two-year-old pay for it, obviously, and then pay for it for 20 years or 18 years. And then in a lot of states, you know, like for example, like a 529 college savings plan, there's a lot of restrictions behind it. You know, you have to use it for college. You know, there's some tax advantages, but with the, the whole life policy, there's no restrictions. Mm-hmm. So if you did save for their college and then now, you know, they're 18, 24 years old, they have a hundred grand in there. They don't have to spend that money on college if they don't want to go to college. You know, what if they want to be entrepreneurs that young, you could use that to finance their, you know, their business or whatever it is that they want to do when they reach that age. So it's a very powerful strategy also for kids. I love that. And now, yeah, is there a point at which, so for instance, if I have, uh, actually my wife and I don't have children, but if we did, may go adopt one just so I can do this. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's say we did and we, um, we did this for them and let's say they're 10 years old and then in 10 years, they're going to be basically like, you know, 20 years old out of college or whatever. Um, Is there ever a point at where this policy can be transferred to them and then then they could access the cash, et cetera, as opposed to me, if, if that's one, if I wanted to do that. Or is it yeah. still really my policy? And they're like, dad, give me the cash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course you could do that. You can gift it to them. Yeah. You would change the owner from you to them. And yeah, absolutely. You could do that. And then, and then what's cool is we set up policies for kids where they only pay it for 20 years. And then after paying it for 20 years for the rest of their lives, they'll earn interest and dividends on that money. So for, we've, we've done cases where, you know, putting in, you know, $300 a month for 20 years, by the time the child is in their sixties, their money grew by 20 times what they put into it on a tax, what the parents put into it on a tax deferred basis and a tax free basis, actually, you know, I love it. Yep. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. This is, this is what the 1% do, you know, they just have large, you know, billions of dollars in whole life insurance policies, and they just pass these on generation to generation. They finance their own education, they finance their businesses, they lend money out to other people charge them interest on it. Yep. And they just keep the cycle of cash moving within the family, no banks allowed, you know, no, not Wall Street's involved, you know, just just the families involved only. Absolutely. The, uh, you mentioned something about this before, and I can't remember if I misunderstood you. Is there a way to put pre-tax income mm-hmm. into these? Yeah, yeah. With business policies, you could do that. So for example, you could do it where like a, you have an employee and this employee, um, you don't want to lose him or her. You want to retain them. You could use pre-tax dollars to fund it. But of course, um, either your tax on the beginning, putting the dollars in, or your tax on taking the money out. But yeah, to answer your question, you could do it with pre-tax dollars. Yeah. So, but, and I would only be taxed on the withdrawals. I could still borrow against that policy tax-free. Yep, exactly. Smart. Mm -hmm. And then what if that employee were to leave my company? So you would keep the policy and you can keep insuring them too. Oh, As long as they work for you for two weeks, 
That's all you can. Uh, you, can <laughs> you can technically just hire somebody for two weeks so you could take a policy out on them and then just go, look, when I die, you're going to be a happy person. But yeah, that, Walmart it's, also, this. it's also, you probably don't want to take out policies on <laughs> people who are kind of strangers. Yeah. You just got reasons for uh, accidental, you know, somebody to run you over in the, in the uh, crosswalk. Yeah. There's, there's, there, there are forms that go into, and you have to kind of like elaborate on like, that this person has skills that are hard to replace. And like, you have a relationship with this employee, like, like there has to be like insurance. So they don't interest. just let you literally go put an ad on Craigslist <laughs> and say, take a policy out of this fellow. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There needs to be a reason. That's, that's good, man. Sorry. This has been, uh, this has been really, really um, informative. I'm glad I've had you on the, uh, on the show. This kind of brings us to the top of the hour here, but um, your you're, uh, you've been a wealth of knowledge and I, I'm hoping that some people are like, ah, I really want to explore this some more. So what are some of the best ways? Like, do you offer consultations or whatnot for, for folks? Like how would they uh, work with you if they want to go down this path? Yes. So they can go to our website. It's finassetprotection.com, F-I-N assetprotection.com. Okay. And there's a link. You can schedule a free appointment and if you reach out to you, I'll send you a free copy of a book called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash. It's a really yeah. good book. And it's kind of the intro to all of this. It's, it's yeah, more, more details. Yeah, I'll send you a free copy of that book if you reach out for a free consultation. Fantastic. And then um, at, at Fin Asset Protection, is this, is this pretty much all you do? Or do you offer other types of services as well? Or is this... Yeah, this is what I do full time. The, cool. the the bank on yourself strategy, you know, whole life insurance, savings plans. This is what I do full time. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you very much. And uh, the best way to reach out is finassetprotection.com, right? There's a link yes. on there to schedule. Yes. Mm -hmm. Cool. So folks, if you've been listening to this, uh, hopefully your eyes have been opened uh, or if you've uh, heard about this before, like I, I have in the past, hopefully you've gotten, you know, been able to plug some of the gaps and go, okay, now that kind of makes sense. It is one of those strategies when I heard about it and even having a financial background, there was a few, ah, that sounds too good to be true. But, um, uh, you know, the more you look into it, the more you see it's, it's, it's not, it is just one of those really good strategies that uh, people have been using for years and years that can give you a leg up and never, um, just because you don't understand something in the very beginning, don't let that you know, don't hesitate to let that, you know, make you go and explore and really fill in the gaps. Uh, it reminds me of uh, about three and a half years ago, I did this with Bitcoin. I threw a, about like five grand in Bitcoin and um, May of 2017. But at the same time, I still didn't go learn a lot about it. And it went up and it went down, et cetera. And then this year came along, it was about six months ago. And I finally, did, luckily, uh, decided to say, look, this is an amazing asset class, but I don't know enough about it. So I started to not only invest in it, but to go deep and learn and learn and learn until it all made sense. And uh, things like, and as of right now, February of 2021, I'm pretty darn happy I did that. Um, this is one of those things I wish I would have taken a closer look at back then and say, I don't totally understand it, but damn it, I'm going to figure it out because this can, this can change lives. Um, so do not hesitate to go to finassetprotection.com, schedule a consultation with Sari and see if this is something that would uh, be useful to you. Otherwise, you may be coming across this 10 years from now going, man, I wish I would have listened to Brad and Sari on this show.
Speaking of listening to me, uh, if you're listening on one of the iPod, or I'm sorry, I don't even think iPods exist anymore, one of the podcast apps, uh, hit the subscribe button because I got a lot more uh, really great episizzles coming out and um, really look forward to um, sharing them with you. Sari, thanks a lot for your time, my man. And I, uh, I appreciate you sharing what you do. Thank you so much, Brad, for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. And see you guys on the next episode.